Welcome to Outside the Box, a mental health initiative striving to end the stigma surrounding mental health. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Nancy Shulman, who joined Avenues The World School in 2011 as part of the founding leadership team. She is currently a senior advisor and was the head of the Early Learning Center at Avenues New York since its opening in 2012 until 2022. From 1990 to 2011, she was the director of the 92nd Street Y Nursery School. Prior to that, she was the admissions director and teacher at Horace Mann Lower School. And by the way, Nancy Shulman was also my fifth grade teacher. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with a very special teacher I had in fifth grade. And for some of you, you might have connected with someone you've known from your past. You've done a lot of thinking in the pandemic. And so for me, it was Mrs. Shulman. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. Um, I love the picture you sent from the class yearbook. I felt a little dorky back then, but but I did post it to the show blog. So thank you so much. Thanks for being so happy here. to reconnect. With you. <laughs> so great. Now, to did you remember you me? I know. I well, I know. I had to tell you my last well, name was Sklar at the time. As soon as you told me Sklar, I knew immediately. And it's weird that, and people find this weird that a teacher can go back four decades and remember a kid. Now, of course, when I remember you, I remember you as a 10 year old, not yeah. as you are now, uh, yeah. obviously. Right. <laughs> um, and so you have a picture in your mind of, of who, who these kids are and who they were. This particular class, your class, was some, a very memorable class to me only because it was a year I got married. And so that was a big deal that year. And it was a class that I you, I don't think you were in that I taught twice. I taught in second grade and then again, three years later in fifth grade. So okay. I have very strong memories of many of the students from your class. Yeah. And a lot of my classmates I connected with on Facebook. So once I get this um, up there, yeah. So they're going to be so excited to know we've connected. So this is great. Uh, I will pick one bone with you though. I took out the yearbook. Yes, it is. And I took it out and I looked in the back and I didn't realize the kids signed it. But you did not sign my yearbook. I'm going to have to uh, bring it to you one day. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what? It was it was kind of chaotic for me growing up because before I came to Horace Mann Barnard, I was um, going to school in Manhattan. I started at PS 190, which was really a terrible experience. And uh, I don't know if you had heard about that school. But um, there was a lot of bullying and then someone started a fire in a closet and the school was shut down, thankfully. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) It was bad. Um, But then I went to PS6 and a lot of my friends who were at PS6 went over to Horace Mann. So it was this wonderful thing. And I still know them. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Old friends are very special. I know. So I want to start this conversation with, at what point did you know you wanted to become a teacher? I think like a lot, well, listen, I'm older. And so growing up, there weren't as many opportunities, you know, when you were a young woman, you know, growing up, you weren't thinking about like everything in the whole world was possibly open to you at that time. But I always knew I loved school, number one. And I loved the idea of being a teacher. And my sister always like, 
tells the story of the reason why she's so smart and went did so well in school and ended up in Ivy League College because I made her play school all the time. And so she was getting school <laughs> everywhere she went. So it's That's one of those cute. things I just always wanted to be a teacher. I played school all the time and it was a career path that I never questioned. And ever, you know, it's been more than 50 years that I've been in this, but it, it really was always on my mind to do that. I studied it in college and I did student teaching and I immediately, when I graduated, wanted to teach. And you went to Syracuse where I went, which was so funny. Oh, that is funny too. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because at the time um, when I was at uh, Syracuse in School of Education, you started in your junior year. And that was a time where they, I, I wish I still had this, but I received a letter saying you're accepted to the School of Education, but we want to let you know that there is very a very good likelihood that when you graduate, you won't necessarily get a job. This was during the Vietnam War, where there were a lot of deferments and a lot of men went into teaching so they could get a deferment from the draft. And so okay. what ended up happening was you know go for it but and it was hard to get a job which is actually sort of led me to the current career path I'm on now I, I was on then and and went to it because it was so hard to get a job did you have a mentor growing up that really made a difference in your life I don't think so I don't I don't remember having a, a mentor I had I've had mentors as a professional Mm -hmm. but um, not necessarily someone who I could say mentored me to, you know, this is where I wanted to be. I can't remember anybody who was significant in my life, you know, in that way. You know, Do obviously, you I think both of us who have teach who are teachers have strong memories of a teacher or multiple teachers, hopefully, where sure. they had an impact on your life and you thought about them and you wanted to be like them also. And I think many teachers, you know, feel that same way. What are your views on, there's been so many challenges the past few years for teachers, obviously in a pandemic, there was no workshop, like let's get ready to be on Zoom and, you know, go through a pandemic. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges? I mean, you and I had talked um, by phone and I was saying how I couldn't believe over 300,000 teachers have left the profession. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges right now, you know, three years later? I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened and obviously, you know, nobody goes into teaching to, um, to make a lot of money. That is not a goal necessarily, mm -hmm. but the fact that there's so much low pay, you know, in this field, I think is, and, and there are opportunities where people can make the same amount of money and more and have a lot less stress in their lives. I mm -hmm. think that's part of it. I think there's not a lot of mentoring support for teachers, either through administrators or, you know, other things. And I think that is huge. I think what's even more intense than it's ever been is real pressure from um, from parents and from administration. I don't even have to say the health and safety issues. I mean, yesterday was a perfect example. Of, I know. You know, like the fear that, that people have now and how horrible this is for teachers who have to think about, you know, whether it's safe for them to be teaching. Right. Um, and this is the there's sort of like this frontline hero mentality around some of, you know, teaching now, too, which is, you know, a, a tremendous pressure, you know, for, for teachers to have, as well as a lot of outside control in the political landscape. Yeah, that I think has been very big change, you know, in, you know, in recent years where the politics of education and educators have been, you know, really something that is, you know, hard for parents hard for, uh, I mean, hard for teachers, hard for parents, the, all that pressure on administration um, 
it's really made it a very, very different environment for yes. teaching. And yes. for me, I, I've had difference between private and public schools too in some of these things um you know i've spent i was public school educated but i've spent my entire career in independent schools and so there's a little bit more flexibility you know clearly you know for teachers who are teaching in a, a private uh school environment but um you know, still all those things are things that i think teachers anywhere everywhere are thinking about yeah i have heard things like there's been so much um pressure from parents, helicopter parents on teachers and not a lot of empathy and low wages. And there's just been enormous amounts of pressure. And there's a, a teacher I know who's in Queens and she was saying, I wish when I was going through my program that they would talk about the mental health of teachers, how to take care yeah. of mental health yeah. should be a priority. Yeah, I think I think mental health is enormous for teachers. And I think it's been more enormous, obviously, in, you know, um, you know, you know, now these these years. And I yes. think the idea of sort of like self-care and taking care of yourself um, is a is a really important thing. And, and, and to the idea of being able to do that in a habitual way, not just sort of like a one off, you know, but find a way to really disconnect from your job from time to time, get a step away from the computer, step away from the phone, whatever makes yeah. you happy, being with friends and in family in person or in nature or exercise, whatever sort of like gives you a sense of, 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 of self-care and well-being yeah. is something that I think teachers really need to be focusing on and making sure that it's included in their in their lives yeah. um, in a habitual way, not just sort of like oh, yes. I'm feeling like exhausted today and I'll take a walk or something, but right. to really make it part of lives because the stress of the day-to-day -day part of the job, and that's always been the case, but now it's just escalated to, you know, a higher degree. Right. I've even had teachers tell me that, and you've probably experienced this, where students feel that they're the only ones who can listen and hear them and they can share personal things with. Let's say um, the student has come out as gay or trans, and this teacher might be the only person that they feel comfortable connecting with. And so there is, there's been so much on teachers. I think, I mean, I work with very young children. And so I deal a lot with their families and their parents in terms mm -hmm. of, of that, you know, but I think for, you know, one of the mental health issues for kids and older kids, especially has to do with the fact that they need to connect with a meaningful adult in their life. Yeah. And, you know, it can be a teacher, it could be, you know, a counselor, it could be, um, mm -hmm. you know, a coach, or a, you know, after school teacher, whatever it is, but that connection that needs to be made between students and teachers is essential for yeah. the well being both of and, and of students, you know, they, you know, knowing that you can make a dif difference in the life of a human being yeah. is an amazing experience to have as a teacher and and the more you can connect for their benefit and from for your own is yes. is really important i had a lot of gen z mostly college age gen z reach out to me in the pandemic in 2020 and say i lost my job i lost my internship um would you take a few minutes and meet with me and if the answer was always yes and sometimes I would think it would be 30 minutes. It could be an hour. It could be an hour and a half. And now we've become such good friends. And I think I want to be that person that they will never forget. I want to be that person. Yeah. And go ahead. And, and, and as it, as it, as it, 
as an educator, the idea that you can sort of make one step and, yeah. and it can be a small step or a larger step and change the whole trajectory of somebody's life yeah. is why this is such an in, in incredible, you know, um, profession. Um, but it's also the idea of like, you know, thinking about opportunities for them to both connect and opportunities for them as, as students to also be involved in their own meaningful connections outside of school and um, you know, thinking about like meaning and purpose and, you know, being attentive yeah. to the needs of others in some way, not just being mm -hmm. the recipients of this, but yes. as you know, going out in the world and doing, making a meaningful contribution in the world is so definitely um, helpful for mental health as well. Definitely. And, and making schools being safe, inclusive peer relationships that they can develop as well. And, you know, that's a stress on campus that doesn't happen, but, you know, yes. the community, students and, and adults both. I love that you mentioned purpose-driven initiatives and having meaning because one of the things I've been doing is um, in the pandemic, I started picking up excess food. It started at a local donut shop and then it's um, now Einstein Bagels. And I recently had a student from UC Irvine who was interning on Outside the Box and he said, I'll go pick up the bagels. And what did he do? He made a TikTok, which was amazing. And then he picked up the bagels, he did the video, and then he dropped it off at the local uh, rescue mission where there's about 100 families there. And he said that was so meaningful. And, you know, you could be having like a really down day and you go do something nice for someone else. And, it, you know, it might seem small, but it isn't it have a big impact. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's interesting in, in my school, we, we've done this actually with pre-K students where we've taken them, um, they had one class made a hundred sandwiches. That in itself, getting four-year-olds to make a hundred sandwiches, <laughs> that in itself is a Wow. <laughs> but then they were able to bring them over to the local, um, the, the local soup kitchen and right. be able to share with them. Now you can teach four-year-olds a lot of things that will stay with them for a really long time and make an impression on them that they, as a four-year-old had the power to be able to do something for yes. adults, you know, yes. and always kids are very um, taken. Even the youngest kids are really taken with the idea of being able to do adult-like things, real things in the world. Mm -hmm. And when those real things then are connected to actually doing good, it's, um, unbelievably powerful that is beautiful for the four years kids. old four years old amazing yeah yeah, yeah. so tell me about uh avenue.org tell me about your role and the, what it's about so avenues it's with an s excuse me avenues. Avenues. yes avenues.org is now in its uh 12th year um in existence um that was actually the school's 11 years. It existed 12 years. So just like my career path was I moved to New York and I got a job at Horace Mann. And that was, you know, amazing to me because um, it was my first job teaching and it was very exciting. It was a private school. I didn't know anything about the private school world, but I wasn't getting any jobs in public schools, you know, so that was a, another path. Moved to New York City. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. So this was my whole life change. I've been wow. here for over 50 years. But it's it's sort of like, you know, that was the thing that motivated me to sort of, you know, the career path that I'm on. And from Horace Mann, I left, I taught, I loved teaching there. It was a wonderful place. And then I I, I went to the 92nd Street Y next, where I was the um, uh, director of the nursery school. And I was there for 21 years. And that's when I actually discovered early childhood education. I'd been working with like elementary age uh, students, 
and loving it. And then I was connected to early childhood. That was the career choice of a dream because to me, it was understanding brain development, the beginning of learning, working with families, holding the whole family in your hands as you start uh, education mm-hmm. together. And I was there for 21 years and loved it. And then wow. this school came around and I was approached by them about helping to start the school. And I thought, I'm not leaving. I so love my, I love every, I've only had three schools I've been in, in, in 30, 50 years. Nobody has like those lengthy no kinds of times. Right. And and yet, in, and this was in 2011. And I'd been at, at the 92nd Street Y for 21 years and hadn't heard to me even to leave. And a, a group of founders came to me and said, we want you to help start this school early child in, with the early child division of the school. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, this is an opportunity to start a school from scratch mm-hmm. that has a global um, that is different than any school that's been done before. It's a global school, which means it's sort of one school with multiple campuses, which is really interesting because it's very different than having sort of like a lot of um, international schools are different from, they're not connected in this way. So I started and in 2011, I came together the year before it opened um, to start this school. And it was one of those kinds of things that was part of this small team who was starting it. And then the year later we opened now private schools in New York city have been around for a hundred plus years. So the idea of starting a brand new private school is just not commonly done and not easily done. And, but, um, we started and we were talking about a very different idea. First of all, it was a global school. We are going to be from the youngest kids at two years old through 12th grade. We're gonna have many campuses. Right now we have a campus in New York City, which is almost 2000 students. We have, which that happened in 10 years, which is unheard of. We have a campus in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Shenzhen, China, and an online campus also. Nice. Our next campus is opening in in Silicon Valley in another year. I mean, they're open now, but um, they'll be expanding in that way. So the idea of a global campus, to me, I grew up in a small town in New York. I lived in New York my whole life. The idea of working sort of globally has been the most amazing thing. And I started as, you know, one of the founding educators. I've been for 10 years was the head of the Early Learning Center, which was, you know, our two-year-old through kindergarten. And then now i officially retired, semi-retired. I'm working a lot as a senior advisor now for the school, which means I have more of a global, you know, connection um, from our um, headquarters function. But the idea of of this school is that we also teach in two languages. So in New York, it's it's Chinese and Spanish, and students have 50% through from three years old through fifth grade, 50% of the content is taught in either half in English and half in Chinese or English and Spanish and parents pick a track. It's great. That was like, it's wowy kind of to see what happens. The other part of that is it's a real innovative and interdisciplinary approach to learning, Mm -hmm. which is when you think about the students of today, of what's going to happen to them when they graduate from high school and then college, we can't even anticipate what the world will be like. Certainly jobs won't be the same. Life will be quite different, um, you know, all of that. But this is a school that from day one said, we're going to be reflective in our practice. We are not going to do things just because they've always been done that way. There's a research and design team. We are always being reflective in the practice and always changing things in service of teaching and learning. 
if there is a better way for it to be done, that student learning can be impacted and outcomes can be impacted in positive ways. Nobody's saying you can't do that or, you know, that doesn't do it. Do the research, do, you know, collect the data, do the research, try it out, yeah. work it. And, and not to make kids guinea pigs, you know, in, in right. any of this, but um, it's, it's just really amazing that the learning is completely engaging. Kids are really there right. to solve real world problems. They get into mm -hmm. high school, they are solving real world problems and they're Fantastic. doing it through a massive experience. So it's kind of like this amazing um, school that has been developing over the past 12 years and continues to grow and evolve. And, yeah. and it's been, I've learned more in the past 12 years than I've learned in my entire life um, because it was all very new and and really just an amazing it's really a, an amazing place and amazing to be part of and so I mean I started my morning this morning talking to um, uh, one of the um, division heads in in Shenzhen China you know we talk every couple of weeks and you know right. share thoughts and ideas you mm -hmm. know talking about you know coming to New York and going to China and you know I've been to China twice you know as they were getting ready and Sao Paulo twice and it's just Great. the idea to be able to do this Think yes. about it in that way. It's been ordinary, yes. really extraordinary. It's so meaningful. You yeah. know, I I have to tell you that um, growing up, I was a terrible student. And I kind of figured out, and it sounds like your school does this, like projects that are meaningful, that are purpose-driven, really connect students. Whereas, you know, you've created, it sounds like a new model of learning, a new way of engaging I, I think that that completely was the 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 reason for being to be mm -hmm. able to look at education, not just create another wonderful school, but yeah. to look at education and say, how can we do education differently? How can we do education that will be impactive, impactful not just for now, but for these students' futures, um, and be able to have the skill sets they need to go into a world that's going to be, you know quite different than you know where we've been and most where we've been in most schools are teaching teaching and learning is very similar to the way it's always been done yeah and the idea of an innovative kind of school environment um with thinking about present and future has mm -hmm. been um something that um resonates with families i mean uh, even in our first year, we didn't exist as a school yet. Our building hadn't been built. We didn't have a faculty yet. 740 parents came to this school in year one. And, and I kept thinking to myself, this is amazing. There was something, it was the right school at the mm -hmm. right time with the right people. You know, putting yes. that all together yes. was something, that there was something for families that this was resonating with. And they were saying, and now here 10 years later, we, we have 2,000 students in New York and camp, large campus in Sao Paulo and in China. And so it's so it's something that parents are paying attention to mm -hmm. and understanding that the way they were educated does not necessarily serve their children for the right. future. Right. I remember one of my favorite classes, um, one of the teachers at Syracuse talked about how there are seven different types of intelligences, Howard Gardner. And I thought, Oh, so I'm not dumb because I don't get math or I don't get this. And and I had emailed you that my first music teacher was uh, Mr. Feldman. Mm -hmm. He was, I don't know if he's still alive. Is he still alive? Yeah, yes, he's definitely. Oh, my God. Anymore, oh, but he's definitely around. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to try to find him as well. Yes. He was so kind, so encouraging. And here I was 10 years old not doing great at school, but music 
I, he taught me how to play classical music, read notes. It, it was a in, incredible experience. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit what I was talking about before is that, you know, hopefully there's someone in your life, you know, mm-hmm. whether, you know, for him, for you, it was Mr. Feldman, for others that you can go back and remember a teacher or someone you connected with, an adult yeah. that, you know, really there for you in a yeah. way that you carry through. And, and even when teachers now, you know, thinking about looking at jobs, like if you reflect about like, who is a teacher who was really impactful for you as a teacher? can motivate you to say like, like, you know what, I want to be that person. I want to make those connections with, with students and, you know, it can make a really big difference. And he would love to hear from you that you all these years later that you felt that, I mean, there is no teacher on the planet that doesn't think, and I've had this experience luckily for me, where it's sort of like you, I I run into former students who are now parents and I've had their kids, you know, as in, in, in my care. And, and it was, it's kind of thing like, I remember when you said, and, and I remember Mm -hmm. what you did. And it's sort of like, oh, okay. I can go out and get hit by a bus now. I'm, I've lived a (laughs) life. That's good. (laughs) You know, that's what you want to hear from someone who you've, you know, tried to have an impact on, you know, it, it makes a difference. So there was a teacher, Mr. Douglas. I don't know his first name. Robin Douglas. Okay. So Robin Douglas used to give me a ride because he lived in Greenwich. Greenwich. um, Because I lived in Stanford. I was commuting at first from Manhattan, going to school. But then I was commuting from Stanford. So Robin Douglas, he used to listen to Chicago on the commute every (laughs) single day. I need to find him as well. But I can I, I actually I know where I can find him easily. His daughter is my goddaughter. So I mean, and I just she just came to visit me in New York um uh over Christmas. So I, I've just seen her recently. So I remember when he became a dad. Oh that was that was with his son first. It was okay. I, I didn't get that to the second one. <laughs> okay. So the, the funny thing is, so he's he would give me a ride home. I'd have to wait to the very end of the day to get the ride home, and I forgot my guitar in Mr. Feldman's office and it was locked. I found a window open, <laughs> climbed down. Oh my God. I literally had to th- like hands first fall into, like it was probably, I don't know, 15 feet down. Cause I would not leave without my guitar. It was a weekend, yeah. like a long weekend. I'm like, I'm getting my guitar. Yeah. Sam Feldman needs to hear these stories as does Robin Douglas. Because and I still the- play to this day. You? Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I took a, I, I broke up with it like a bad relationship, but I, I would <laughs> continue and, yes. but I, I love guitar. I have great memories. I would love to connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll help you do that. I'll thank you. you. Thank you. So <laughs> tell me about, I think you had mentioned, do you have a lot of students that reach out to you after long years going by? It's, it's funny. Like you, I've connected on Facebook mm-hmm. and actually more of the kids in your class than any other year maybe because I'll tell you why I don't it was a long time ago and I don't remember it must have been after I would they reached out to me some of the members of the class and they said to me "Um, we're going to have a 20th reunion of our sixth grade class and will you come and I said yes I would not miss that you know I didn't see them since they were 10 11 years old and so now here they are 20 years later in their thirties and yes. whatever. And so I said, yes, that sounds like fun. So we met in a bar on Columbus Avenue with a whole bunch of kids that came. <laughs> and 
about kids who came. Kids. And the, fun, <laughs> the funniest part of it is that some people were in, in completely recognizable instantly. Others, you would never know. Yes. But what they did was they talked about, remember when you said this in our class and, and you know, would recount a story. And then, and here's some pictures of my kids. And it was as if there was no life between sixth grade and present for them. <laughs> it was sort of like they went back and forward, but no, that nothing happened in between. And it was so much fun How to fun. do that. And there was one, actually, he was in your homeroom. Um, there was a, a, a kid in the class, John Hughes. He's a very successful museum. museum yes, museum. yes. Um, anyway, I, he did, he also, like you, hadn't graduated. And so I didn't, never expected to see him. Mm-hmm. And he, But he walked in the door and he was the only African-American kid in the class. Um, and I loved him. He was just like a special kid to me, I was. And I, he, I, he walked in the door and I looked at him and I said, I was hoping you might be here. And I said, I, I said, I, I never expected to see you, but I'm so, I'm so happy to see you. And he said, I came here because I wanted to tell you that I didn't have a great experience, you know, when I was in school and every single day you made me feel valued, important and cared about. Oh, okay. That's my life. You know, you like that happened to me. I, I thought like, it doesn't get better than that. And yeah. he's also on Facebook now. I follow I him position and he's, you know, and I said to him, are you still an artist? You are such a good artist. He said, yes. And I'm a musician and an artist. He's a drummer, I, I believe. He's a drummer. Because yeah. he's supposed to come on my show. I had connected with him a while ago. He, ironically. That I want to know about. Yeah. <laughs> he was a really great, wonderful, wonderful. Isn't it interesting? So that strong artistic musical talent, but perhaps not great academically. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, to find, you know, for any kid to find their way to, yeah. you know, um, you know, a successful career and something that they're passionate about. I mean, yes. that's yeah. really what education should be for. In at Avenues, there's a mastery program that, that students start in their up in the upper division. And it starts upper division is sixth through twelfth grade, and there's middle grades and then upper grades. And there's a mastery program. And the idea of mastery program is that you can pick anything that you are passionate about and follow it for years in depth. And you will have a teacher who really supports this, you know, in-depth learning of something. There have been kids who, you know, have done extraordinary things. Um, one of, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of a couple of examples. There's a student who did the first high school law review. Um, there was somebody who created an art, um, a particle accelerator. I'm thinking, what was I doing in high school? I, <laughs> I wasn't doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's like, you know, that idea. And for me, I'm sort of like a student of play. I believe in play-based learning. I believe in play Mm -hmm. as as a life skill. But if you think of the through line of, I'm sorry, play to, um, of of what play means to students and the in-depth that they get into when you're young children, and then how that leads to like a mastery of in-depth, something that you're passionate about. And so the school is really giving students opportunities to sort of find you know, their passions, you know, whatever they may be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is tremendous power and play and creativity. There there are these, some workshops I started doing um, for students as well during the pandemic on resilience and self-care. And one lately is the power of creativity for mental health. And I talk about, think about, um, for adults attending, things you used to love to do that you don't do anymore and why you stopped and you can always go back to finger painting or whatever it is you want to do that lifted you up. 
Yeah. 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 And those are the things I think, you know, when you talk about self-care also, those are the things, if you go back to those things and think yeah. about, it, you know, uh, about what gave you joy, what gave you, you know, happiness, you know, as a, as a younger person, as a younger child, you know, and, and, and find those things that you can really jump yes. into and really, you know, feel like you're connected to something that you care about, but maybe even bigger than yourself. Yes. Before we wrap up, I, I think I shared this story with you. Maybe I didn't, but uh, when we were talking, when I was in your class, there was a there was a time where we had to choose choose a project and I chose to build a Sumerian temple or something. And <laughs> I saved it to the last minute, which was something I usually did. Like I'd say, hey, uh, I have to build a Parthenon. When does it do? Tomorrow. <laughs> and so, um, so I had to do this project. And I remember it was like one in the morning and I'm sweating bullets and I'm like, how am I going to get this done? And I wake up the next morning and it looked like it was going to be okay. When I woke up, it looked like a sunken cake and I was <laughs> mortified. And so I think Mr. Douglas was giving me a ride in and I was just so upset and I had to put my project out on the table. And I told you this because other projects looked like they had been done by parents and they were perfect. <laughs> and, and I thought, Oh gosh, like I don't have anybody ever helping me with anything. And I laid it on the table and I thought it was you. And I think you said, how would you grade yourself to everybody? So we were, maybe it wasn't you, but I thought it was you. I and hope it was because that's a good one. <laughs> I think it was you. It must've been because it was your class. So how would you grade yourself? And I thought, well, this is definitely not an A. <laughs> And, and I think I gave myself a B and that's what I got. But I, I just remember thinking, oh, thank goodness, you know, and, and I, cause I was mortified really. But there's no disgrace in failure when learning also. I mean, I, you know, I, I think didn't know that, it then, <laughs> didn't know it yeah. then, but it's, yeah. and I think, you know, that's one of the things at school that we really try to, you know, encourage in kids. It's okay to try something and fail. And that's how you build resiliency and the yes. resiliency is going to, what's going to carry you through to the next, either the, you know, the next right. thing really well, or the next failure that happens. And I'm sure everybody who's been a success in whatever they done has had, you know, failure as well and I think yes. the idea for now I think parents are so you know when we talk about helicopter parents um the idea of really um you know getting an opportunity to like clear the way for kids or do their projects or make sure there's no bumps in the road is inhibiting kids from really being able to experience what yes. how to build resiliency and you right. know that's something that I like to talk to parents about too because I'm passionate about parent education and I think there's not enough of it in schools from both the parent end and the school end. And it's a yes. passion for me because just getting through and sort of helping parents understand that it's okay. If they fall down, they'll get up and they'll yes. be stronger for it. Yes. And I, that's one of the things that I think, um, you know, schools can really help parents in is to really understand, you know, a little bit both from the developmental point of view, from the psychological point of view, from the you know, emotional, social, emotional mm -hmm. point of view, what's going on for right. a child. It's so sure, important. because it teaches them to pivot. Okay, yep. this didn't happen. What's next? You know, and rejection happens, as you said, you know, builds resilience. And what's plan B or plan C? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you'd like to share with us about things you have going on? I know you're also an author. Yes, I, in 2007, I was a co-author of a book called uh, Practical Wisdom for Parents. Um, I wrote it with my um, 
dearest friend and 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 uh, colleague co colleague who actually lives right upstairs from me, um, who we work together at the ninety second Street Y, and it's it's uh, called Practical Wisdom for Parents, and it's written from uh, the educator, early childhood educator point of view of what we think is the most important thing about learning, um, you know, for parents. And I've been a parent educator since I started, um, you know, working in early childhood. And now, right now, as a senior advisor, one of my main projects is doing a parent education um, platform um, in all different kinds of ways to be able to connect with families and parents of um all age children, um, for me particularly for the young children, because that's where the path starts. And being yeah. able to sort of like reach out to parents and work with them and sort of help them have understanding of where their child is and what can be supportive and helpful to, to children um, uh, along the way. And with certainly the um, uh, the understanding that um, there are no such thing as perfect parents and there's no such thing as perfect children right. and mistakes going to be made and it's okay there's not too many things that will go that wrong except for two things I always have this um the thing about two things that can go wrong and and we talk about this in the book also is one to love your child unconditionally love them for who they are not for yeah. who you wish they were um and love them unconditionally and the other thing is to set limits yeah and they need boundaries and limits and you have one without the other it doesn't quite work yeah, you know, if you have True. love them, no limits or limits and don't get them it doesn't work. But those two things more than any other thing, I think, sets kids on a course for really being confident and competent human beings. And I think that's something that um, I want to get that message across as, as much as possibly that I can. Yes. And the other thing is that um, I think for teachers, you know, th people thinking about going into the field of teaching, I want to sort of encourage people to be in this work and to be in this field because there is no more rewarding hard yes pay uh, something needs to be done about that without mm -hmm. with, without about it but that um that to look for the inspiration in your own life a uh, journey of teachers and 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 to go into it but to be open to thinking about like different ways of doing things to find a mentor you know the most experienced teachers are the best mentors and and being especially a new teacher can be really isolating and if you can find a good experienced teacher as a mentor and open yourself up to learning and learning about new things and asking questions how am I doing? What could I do better? Could you come watch this? Can you help me with this? If you do that, you're well on the path because apparently about 44% of, um, of of new teachers fail, you know, leave in the first five years. Wow, That's a terrible, that. terrible statistic. Terrible, yeah. And it, the, you know, the way to sort of like counter that is to really find good mentorship and really find a place that you can, you know, connect with, with caring administrative coworkers, you know, um, to do that too, because I think, and take care of yourself, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find out more about you? Um, avenues.org. Um, that's avenues with an S at mm -hmm. the end.org is uh, the school's website. And um, we're doing that. I'm going to be in California uh, April 25th for um, what we call open ed, which is an open forum um, opportunity to hear from uh educators um, and people in the field who are doing innovative and interesting things. And um, I'm going to be doing a talk uh, in Silicon Valley where our new school, our next school is, is uh, Exciting. happening. Is but that open to the public? Yeah, it's open. It's virtual and, and in person, there's opportunities. So okay. it's not up yet, but um, it's, it's uh, going to be announced soon. And on the Avenues website is where to find all things Avenues.
Fantastic. I have so enjoyed this. That's an understatement. Me too. Me too. I wish I could have these kinds of conversations with all my former students, but that's not likely. (laughs) Well, I look forward to seeing you in person at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love that. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Outside the Box. We're spreading knowledge and compassion through podcasts, social events, and resources. Outside the Box is committed to facilitating real conversations about real issues that people struggle with every day. I hope my movement will not only inspire you to seek the help you need, but also help you learn the importance of self-awareness, mindfulness, and self-compassion. Want to be a guest on Outside the Box? Drop us an email at info at otbseries.com. We drop a new episode every Thursday, and you can check out our socials at OTB Series. For more information, visit otbseries.com.